before we start the episode, we have to uh, address there's there's a bit of inconsistency in the episode because the first half we recorded on Friday, August uh, four, yeah, August fifth, uh, and second half of the episode is Monday, August eighth. Um, Daniel has been traveling a lot for the uh, NECBL playoffs, doing a lot of great coverage for uh, for the league. And yeah, recording the pod, recording episode 201 has been uh, an interesting process. So yeah, we're, we're recording uh, different halves, different halves of the episode three days apart. So if uh, any stats sound outdated in the first, in the first half of the episode, uh, that's why. All right. Uh, let's get into the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs hoodie, the baseball reference t-shirt, just repping some stats, you know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christiana. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing very well today. We're coming off the 200th episode of ARR, of course, the single season's draft. What a time it was. Uh, shout out to 2017 Charlie Blackman. I mean, we all know, you know, we all knew that he was going off the board. Team Bono was just a lucky team to get him. Yeah, yeah, the sweepstakes were high for 2017 Charlie Blackman, and uh, yeah, I mean, thankfully Bono, um, for for Bono's sake, uh, got that uh, <laughs> got that <laughs> season off the board. Um, yeah, yeah, that that was that was fun. It it definitely went um a little like you know most people didn't have like a full board. Um, I think so. I think that made it a little more fun. Yeah. And we got to got to hear some fun names. But but yeah, yeah. Happy about happy about uh getting to that two hundred mark. We're finally uh at the Mendoza line, as they say, uh in baseball, <laughs> baseball joke. Um yeah, we're above it. We're we're now above it with episode two oh one. Um but uh, but yeah, it was funny that yeah on Tuesday or actually got released a little later. But like the first episode after the trade deadline was a single season's draft. Uh, the timing of it just worked out that way. It's just every fifty episodes we do a draft. The two hundredth episode happened to lie on one of the most important baseball days of the year. I don't know, but <laughs> now we're finally able to talk about the uh the trade deadline. And um, I mean, there's a lot to take away more than I expected, more than I expected from this uh, from this trade deadline here. Um, although there were some names that you expected to be traded that were not traded. But the big one that, you know, 24 hours before this happening, I did not expect a deal to go down. Um, Juan Soto, the big news of the day, Juan Soto uh, and Josh Bell get traded to the Padres in exchange for um a pretty big package, although it requires a big, you know, a big, uh, a big haul to get Juan Soto and yes. Josh Bell, uh, where they got CJ Abrams, 
uh, Mackenzie Gore, Robert Hassel, the third. The third. Is it Hassel or Hassel? I don't know. Hass. It should be. I hope it's Hassel because Hassel. I, I do too. Like, Hassel sounds way cooler. Yeah. Robert Hassel, the third, and a couple other guys. Um, And yeah, bomb, bombshell news from Tuesday morning. Um, what what were your takeaways from this one? My takeaways were, I mean, I think it was pretty, pretty consensus. All positive for the Padres, all negative for the Nationals. Um, this was, I mean, like guys like Juan Soto just don't become available, and it's reasons yeah. like this. Like you're never going to get a good enough package for Juan Soto. None of you know if all five, six of the guys you got maybe combined to put up as much production as Juan Soto, which crazy crazy enough considering six guys, it's unlikely. Like you're not going to even in a combination state. Of course you can't you can't ask for any of those guys to put up a four hundred OBP consistently, uh with like top top of the line power in the league. It's just never going to happen. I mean you you see it I saw a tweet that said like the the Nationals recreated the Miguel Cabrera trade that set up the Marlins dynasty. That's kind of what it feels like. And yeah, like they did get a lot of very good young talent, but you're, you they didn't get Juan Soto. And not only that, but I think the worst part about this was that everything they got in this trade, I honestly think they could have just gotten for Juan Soto and they could have traded Bell in a separate package. Yeah, that's very true. Like when you add in Bell, who's been one of the best offensive first basemen this year, uh, it makes the deal seem uh, worse, like way worse for the Nationals. I think, yeah, I think if it was just Soto for all these guys, um, we'd still be looking at looking at it as a win for the Padres. Um, but then you add Josh Bell, who has like, uh, yeah, OPS plus like around 140 or something like that um, mm-hmm. as a first baseman. Just been, uh, you know, a a great a, a great bat, and is gonna improve the Padres lineup and first base situation tremendously. Um, and yeah, you add that, and you know, like nothing was really added to the trade for uh, for the Nationals. Yeah, pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, this is just. I get that it's more on ownership, but they should, if they were going to trade Soto, I really think they should have just waited until the winter because this deal felt very rushed. I feel like they could have really gotten a lot more options from a lot more teams that were, that were interested because I think there, there are more teams that are inclined to check in on something like this during the winter rather than during the, during the trade deadline. There's so much less time to do. So everything feels way more rushed. And I'm sure that it was much more of an ownership thing than it was a Mike Rizzo thing, but Let's be real. Was Soto's value going down because of the service time if they waited till the winter? Probably not. Highly doubt it. He's a super two, and also he's still one of the best players in the league. There's no reason to believe that even if he struggled during August, August and September, that was any sign of things to come. Like He's still Juan Soto, and I really do think the Nationals should have waited till the winter. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100% uh, with all that because – because yeah like uh because yeah there's a deadline like that's the whole thing is there's a trade deadline so you kind of have to make decisions at haste 
And when you're dealing with a guy like Juan Soto, who A, is one of the best players in baseball, potentially the best hitter in baseball, and B, has two and a half years of control left, you cannot be making decisions at haste. Uh, especially when, like, you you have such a valuable asset, you need to use him the best way you can. You know, the Nationals are in a very bad position right now. They have, I'm pretty sure, they have the worst record in baseball. Um, you know, they they need to get every advantage they can get. And if you're making a decision at haste with potentially the best hitter in baseball, like I said, um, I, that's just poor decision making i think i think when what you can start trading in like in like mid mid november and then he's on the trade market for like three months that i feel like they yeah. could have gotten a lot more from that especially with like i think teams are are more likely to let major league p- pieces go in the middle of the season like the nationals could have gotten back more like major league pieces uh in um in the deal because you know the season's over they don't feel like they're taken away from a championship run uh but yeah like yeah making making a quick kind of an impulsive decision like that um you know mike rizzo could could regret it in the long run or all these prospects could work out who knows mike rizzo has such a complicated legacy with the nationals like he made them into a contender for many years in a row which I think is a very good thing for him. I think a lot of GMs could not have done that. But also, I mean, he's made a lot of confusing decisions. I mean, you know, trading Juan Soto, of course. I know that that wasn't completely his decision, but, you know, he could have he could have stalled out and waited to the winter. Uh, trading the farm for Adam Eden, which set up for having to sign Steven Strasburg, which set up for not having the money to pay Juan Soto. Uh-huh. That's that's something you can point to. Uh, you know, there like there are plenty of things where you really just question the decision making, and you know it feels like this is really where the Nationals are going to hit a steep decline. I know they already have over the last couple of years. I mean, they they haven't drafted and developed the talent since probably Anthony Rendon. Yeah. Um, I don't know because you know when Bryce Harper left, the the narrative was, well, you know what? You let Bryce Harper walk so you can pay Juan Soto because Juan Soto might be better. But now you don't pay Juan Soto. So now you're just, you know, you let two two superstar talents walk. You On top of that, you also traded Trey Turner. I'll let Max Serger go. I understand that one. Uh, you lost Anthony Rendon. Um, you basically lost Steven Strasburg. I mean, you still have him, but I mean, you know, he's not there. Yeah um this is this is a really tough look for the franchise right now yeah for sure and um yeah what what we're seeing from what we're going to be seeing from the nationals for the next at least five years is like what we remember the nationals late late aughts like 2008 2009 2010 like the pre strasburg harper era the the teams that allowed them to get strasburg and harper um mm-hmm. like these types of teams except um except imagine if those teams had like opportunities to re-sign like Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols or something <laughs> like yeah like uh it, it would be like those teams 
Um, and yeah, and you know, we mentioned this before, but like the nationals, they're not in a situation where they're near the luxury tax or anything. Like they, I think their projected payroll next year is like 120 million. So they could have signed Soto. I mean, and the obvious premise is that like, you know, if you sign Soto for 15 years, you imagine you'll be, your team will be successful in the next 15 years and you'll be able to get him a championship in the next 15 years. But uh, they didn't, didn't, uh, didn't have a high enough price. So I guess that transitions to the Padres and what they're going to be doing. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot here. Like they have quite the lineup. They're going to have, if, if they, if they extend Soto, they're going to have three $300 million contracts. Uh, wh- what do you think about the Padres in their situation right now? This is, this is a dream for San Diego. I mean, this is just, this is as good as it gets. I mean, I know that he's not, you know, healthy right now, but Fernando Tatis Jr. and Juan Soto and Manny Machado in the same lineup, that's going to be so much fun. And it's, you know, it's for years to come. I mean, it's hard to imagine the Padres don't intend on extending Juan Soto. I mean, they're they're gonna have a billion dollars locked up to three players, which is gonna be sick. Um, I really love that this is just proving that small market teams are kind of a fake concept, and it's really just owners that don't care that much about spending money and winning because the Padres are labeled a small small market team. That small market team now has three superstars in the same lineup that will all likely be under contract with them for the better part of a decade. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, it's not just that they're good. Like, the entertainment value, the everyday entertainment value of all three of them is uh, is unbelievable. Um, And, yeah, I mean, that lineup is I, – I know – I think MLB tweeted out, like, their projected lineup, and it's, it's something crazy. Like, you know, you got Cronenworth, Soto, Tatis Jr., uh, Machado uh, – Josh Bell, Josh, Josh Bell, uh, you know, like Trent. Brandon Drury, who they also got at the trade deadline, yeah, Brandon who had a great Drury. slam in his first game. Um, it, it's, it's an insane lineup. Um, that still, and it's not their, it's not necessarily their fault. It's just the other team has been that good, but like division is out of question for this year, but I mean, they substantially improved their playoff, like their, their, their championship chances. Uh, and I think they substantially increased their chances at a division uh, title next year and years after. You have to wonder if it's better to get the six seed in the National League than the five seed this year. Um, because the the five seed is gonna go up against this Padres team most likely. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I guess that's probably the Braves. I guess the Braves might have that on lock right now, or the Mets. True. True. You oh, know yeah. what? That's why that's why you want to win the NL East. The NL East race just got a lot more important. Yes. Yes. Because it it's in all likelihood, the winner of the NL East is drawing the Padres in the first round of the playoffs. The Padres are three games behind the Braves, so it's not impossible to believe they can uh take that fourth seed. Yeah, and I but, think I mean go ahead. I think uh also what this um what this Padre, like what this uh, Padres trade deadline is showing us is like, um, it's kind of going against the stereotype that a lot of fans like kind of make that like 
oh, you know, starting pitching, that's going to win you. That's going to win you the championship. That's what's going to get you into the playoffs. It's like if you have a powerhouse offense, that's going to counter all the starting pitching uh, you're going to go against. And it's like that, you know, you can win, you can win runs, but or win games by scoring runs. And I think that's what the Padres fully plan on doing is they didn't really add any starting pitching at the deadline, which is fine because they added so much else. Um, but yeah, like, you know, I, they do have a decent staff or at least definitely a, a decent. I'd say team. they have like a top, I'd say they have maybe a top 10, maybe even five rotation. I mean, at, you yeah. know, at their best, you know, you look at Snell, Darvish and Musgrove, like that's yeah. those are three solid pitchers. And uh, Clevenger too. Um, Clevenger. Yeah, Clevenger's at a at a three one three ERA. I should look at their team starter ERA before I start. Sean Manaya. Before I start yapping my mouth. Um is in terms of this year, I should take a look. I'll look at both ERA and FIP. You Darvish has been quietly excellent this year. Um I feel Padres, like Joe Musgrove is getting a lot more credit because he's a lower ERA, but uh Darvish has been excellent this year. Actually, uh, in terms of FIP, Musgrove and Darvish have been very similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, Looking at that right now, it's now even the Padres, in a very different way, I guess. Padres starting rotation is 7th in ERA, 11th in FIP. So, I mean, they, yeah, top 10. Top 10 yeah. in rotation for sure. Um, but And then along with that, their lineup, once Tatis comes in, that is a top five, maybe top three lineup. Maybe uh, top one. Maybe the best lineup in baseball. Um yeah. so yeah, we'll uh we will see about that. Um and yeah, like um what else was I gonna get at? Uh oh they uh they also got their bullpen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well I don't know. If, do we want to continue talking about Soto? Um I was thinking about like AJ Preller, like he's he has an interesting legacy. I think Foolish Baseball had a really good, like good accurate tweet. Accurate. Like, like the funny the funny thing about AJ Preller is that he loses the majority of his trades, but he's he still overall wins because of Soto and Tatis. Because for those unaware, he Tatis was not originally in the Padres it's organization. Positive. They uh they traded um james shields to get fernando tatis jr when he was like 18 years old and then he turned into this megastar um that's got to be the best trade since miguel cabrera yeah yeah the like, tigers and i mean as soon as soda rejected that offer and he was on the trade market those comparisons were being drawn and like kind of what happened here um it's gonna be wild uh when we eventually get to the point of basically forgetting Soto was with the Nationals. Like, there are so many parallels to Miguel Cabrera here. You know, like, winning a World Series early, very, very early in their career yeah. uh, with a with a team that sort of just happened to go on a run and, you know, dominating there for a few years, getting traded. And when you think of Miguel Cabrera, you think of the Tigers. Like, you could probably convince several baseball fans that he was drafted and developed in the Detroit organization, came up with the team, was on the 06 team that went to the World Series. And I don't know. I mean, of course, he never won a World Series there, but you could probably, like, you know, it almost seems like it's that way because everything we really know about Miguel Cabrera, especially at our age, you think of him as a Tiger. And that's 
we're eventually going to get to a point where we only know Juan Soto as a Padre. Yeah, I'm excited for um, Soto to win the Triple Crown in 2027, back-to-back yes. MVPs in 27 and 28. Um, I'm excited, yeah. But, but yeah, on a serious note, yeah, like, he eventually – I mean, I think very. I think it might happen quicker than uh, quicker than normal that people forget about his Nationals days because, like, the Nationals are – going to be very insignificant for a while unfortunately for them i mean as i have the marlins been yeah exactly and the padres are i think the padres are just going to be so electric even if they're not first place in the nl west they're going to be so electric for um a very long time for sure they should be a staple in the playoffs at least like you know obviously once you get to the playoffs anything anything can happen but yeah, I mean they should be in the playoffs just about every single year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely wasn't the only Padres move being made. Uh, we of course have the Josh Hader deal where they traded for Josh Hader. They got rid of uh Taylor Rogers, Denelson Lamette, um, and some other folks. Uh, I'm trying to find it here, but those were like kind of the main. I can thing. I can get that. Uh, well, yeah. you know that they uh the Brewers DFA Denelson Lamette. Yes, I did see that. That I was I found that weird. Uh, it was Taylor Rogers, Denelson Lamette, uh, as Turi Ruiz and Robert Gasser, who yeah. are two prospects, an outfielder and a left-handed pitcher. Um, I haven't looked at their stats, but from what I've heard. Uh, both could be very good pieces in the Brewers system. Um, you know, I feel kind of mixed, I feel like, because I do think that this will, in the long run, the Brewers, like, in there, this weekend. Uh, against the against the Pirates, or sorry, this week against the Pirates. You know they lost. Uh, Devin Williams gave up a walk off home run to Brian Reynolds. They lost on a, on a walk off wild pitch yesterday. Uh, it is you know the the effects of losing Josh Hader have already shown, but you could argue that you know those are games that you should be able to handle without Josh Hader anyway. I mean Devin Williams is an elite reliever. Taylor Rogers is an elite reliever, but missing Hader definitely has an effect. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And like Josh, like with Josh Hader, we talked about him a couple episodes ago. Like his season ERA is above four, but that don't let that fool you. That was two bad appearances in a row. Before mm-hmm. that, his ERA was like one eight two. He had not blown a save at all, and now and still he's only blown two saves. So keep that mm-hmm. in mind. He's still he's still as I would still say he's as good as he has been still you know a great reliever top three in baseball right now um yeah like and you know taylor rogers uh is also very good but i'm looking at him like he's a free agent after this year um he's less control than uh less control than josh Hader, oddly enough but I- i'm wondering if the brewers have any plans to maybe extend him um and uh yeah, I thought the I thought Denelson Lamette would have would be more of a mainstay for Milwaukee, but come on, he's not. Him. 
Yeah, I I know that uh there was some sort of like statement I guess released by David Stearns or maybe not a statement but like uh some brewers like B writer tweeted out like a text he got from Stearns where it was like they just didn't see where he fit in the organization. Yeah, I thought maybe there was a potential play of like I don't I don't know if this if I don't know if this is how contracts works but like if they DFA'd him and then like you know, he gets released and then they sign him back to like a minor league deal or something, but maybe they would do that. But like, um, I mean, Denelson Lamette is an interesting conversation to have uh, separately, but yeah, I mean, where do we think this move puts the Padres? Um, I mean, I think it improves their bullpen a little bit. I mean, I still think that Taylor Rogers is an awesome reliever. Um, but Josh Hader, I think it definitely gives them a lot more personality. You know, like we talked about the Padres being electric as they were with Juan Soto. And I think that this move, uh, plays very similarly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Taylor Rogers is good, but he didn't have like the same, wasn't as much of a, I guess. A presence on the mound. Yeah. Highlight machine. Like, oh, oh no. Taylor Rogers is coming on the mound. Like, you didn't necessarily uh, get that. Mm-hmm. But with Josh Hader, it's like, you know, look at this perceived, <laughs> this perceived velocity is insane. Yeah. Like, yep. Like, uh, it it looks like 102 is coming at me. And, you know, you got this, uh, you got this slider and he's, you know, striking out 15 per nine. It's something. Exactly. Something, something different for sure. Um, I mean, so like maybe another five to ten years like you could be looking at a hall of fame case i mean 15.4 career strikeouts per nine that's career and it's absurd yeah i mean he's been one he's been like a top three reliever since uh 2018 you know yeah since before he was consistently i mean like look at his if you look at his yearly ERA plus, 213 in 2017 even, 168, one, or sorry, 168, 170, 122, 341 in 2021, mind you, not in 2020. 100, which was this year with the Brewers, or actually no, it's 100 total. Uh, he doesn't have an ERA plus with the Padres yet, understandably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and his, uh, his strikeout minus walk rate since 2018 every year has been has been above 30 percent mm-hmm. and like league average is uh i think 14 percent for those uh who are curious um he has been at above 30 percent every uh every year since 2018 i think uh i think this definitely improves the padres for 2022 um we'll see how we'll see you know it obviously it'll take a while for this deal to marinate and see what these prospects do. Um, and Rogers could all could also be a very effective reliever for the brewers, but um, it's a change of scenery for both. And, uh, and yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yes, we will. Um, and yeah, I, yeah. Like, yeah, they have, yeah. Pod, pod, and Padres have them next year too. So I think they'll win it in 2022 and 2023. <clears throat> because... well, let, me, let me ask you something, Chris. 
Sure. How many how many future Hall of Fame relievers do you think are currently in the league? Uh, that's a good question. Um, Hendricks probably doesn't make it because he's um on the older side, and mm-hmm. his, his his success started later. Um, so that's like the first guy I think of. Um, Kimbrel, I'm always iffy on. See what like he's always kind of back and forth in his career. Um, I think, um, I think Kenley Jansen will probably get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, oh, too. He's been he's been that guy. Um, yeah, I think it's it's Kenley Jansen. I'd say Kenley Jansen and Josh Hader. Like, uh, I think Aroldis Chapman like has a chance, but I don't think he gets in. Those are those are the four on my mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, some some guys just haven't carried their success into their mid thirties. I guess you could say, like Kimbrel and mm-hmm. Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Jansen is continuously saving games for the Braves now. Um, so, uh, and then the other Padres deal. Uh, well, actually. We should talk about who they let go. Eric Hosmer. Yes. Yeah. What a what a rough what a time this was. There was a period yeah. of time uh in the middle of the Juan Soto trade where Eric Hosmer was in the deal and his no trade clause included the nationals, meaning he specifically did not intend to go there. And you know, for a brief period of time, it was being reported that Eric Hosmer could hold up the entire deal and essentially cancel uh the the entire deal but that's not the way it worked out which makes sense i don't know why aj preller would have bothered putting him in there if he knew that that was the thing um they ended up putting luke void in instead which i mean my god poor luke void yeah <laughs> how on a scale from one to ten how think how much do you think he wants to fight eric hosmer 11 <laughs> yeah like someone else decided not to go to washington so you had to instead of playing on that juggernaut team with all those fun personalities you have to go to washington yeah mm-hmm. that's that's poor guy right in two in two years he went from league leader in home runs on the yankees to guy who was is subjected to washington because eric hosmer wanted him to go there instead of him that's ba- that's baseball that's baseball yeah. um yeah eric hosmer <laughs> It, it seemed like he had a lot of power temporarily, but he he didn't. Um, uh, for those unaware, the, the, the obvious meme with uh, Eric Hosmer is you can't stop hitting ground balls and he doesn't he he's doesn't do well when he hits ground balls. Most people don't do well when they're ground ball hitters, especially for- when you're a first baseman that yeah. is in like a 30th percentile in sprint speed. Yeah, like guys who do well. On ground balls are fast players normally, or guys who hit the, the worst thing. Well, the worst thing about Hosmer specifically is he's like doubled down and like defended his ground ball rates and been like, no, this is what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, and so the funny thing is, so like, okay, twenty nineteen, he has a fifty six point eight percent ground ball rate, and his OPS is um. His OPS was 735. So 735 OPS attributed with a 56.8% ground ball rate. 
the next year, 2020, it's a short year, but he has a 47% ground ball rate. So it goes down like 10%. His OPS yep. is 850. It goes up 115 points. But then his ground ball rate goes back up to the mid-50s and it goes down to the, you know, 732. And it's just, you know, so the meme is he can't stop hitting ground balls. It doesn't work out for him, but he keeps doing it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the, he, he's he got a $144 million contract from the Padres at the start of 2018. Hasn't really worked out. Um, he has three more years of control after this um and he got traded to the red sox which is uh yeah i I don't know like you know they luckily for the red sox the padres ate uh ate like 99 percent of the contract or something like that um yeah like down to the league minimum um (laughs) so the red sox got eric hosmer for free they gave up Jay Groom, who was their 2016 first round draft pick, who he's lost his value. Um, and uh, the Red Sox also got the Padres number 11 and 26 prospects in this deal. Um, what, what what were your thoughts on Eric Cos- on the Eric Cosmer trade? I mean, I've always I've always memed on Eric Cosmer, and I I intend on doing so as long as I if, as long as I can. Um, yeah. Like he had a he like went after the launch angle like as a concept a few like last year which just made <laughs> me laugh because he's the absolute last person that should be doing so um but you know what like for the red Sox, this is an upgrade because i mean you basically got eric hosmer for free like the only person the red Sox gave up in this deal was jay groom who was a former first round pick who unfortunately had to undergo Tommy John surgery. Um, and he was, it looked like he was not going to be protected in the rule five draft anyway, and was also set to become a minor league free agent. So he likely was never going to make it to the big leagues with the Red Sox. So you, you might as well have gotten him for free. Um, and yeah, that was my train of thought. And I mean, this first base was such a positional need right now. Like, Rafael Devers was on the IL, which meant Bobby Dahlbeck had to go to third base, and Tristan Casas was also injured, so he couldn't come up. So Franchi Cordero had to play first base, and he's never played it before, and you could tell. I mean, he was he made three errors in one game. At one point, he was dropping balls, not making throws, not picking any balls off the ground. He was doing just about nothing right at first base, and you can't really blame him. And yeah. the Red Sox literally just needed someone that could field the position of first base and hit for, like, around a league average and Eric Hosmer is going to do that. And you basically get him for free. So hard to complain about that. If you're a Red Sox fan, even if he's going to hit ground balls 75% of the time. Yeah. You know, average offense and average defense is an upgrade at first base for the Red Sox, as you mentioned. Um, and, you know, this wasn't the Red Sox game plan. If, if you asked Heim Bloom at the beginning of 2022, what the game plan at, at first base was going to be, I think he probably, if he had to give you an honest answer, he probably was going to say, um, you know, we'll stick by Bobby Dahlbeck for about the first half of the year. And then we'll, we'll um, bring up Tristan Casas, you know, our 2018 first round draft pick and our top 20 prospect in baseball. We'll bring him up, you know, about halfway through the year and he'll either start every day or platoon with Dahlbeck at first base. But the, the real um, wrench thrown into the mix was, um, Tristan Cassis, 
in the minors got injured um, in like May or June, something like that. Took him out for a month or two, and now he's recovering. And you know his timeline was altered a lot, and therefore the Red Sox first base situation was not what they expected it to be. And now they're uh, now they're getting Eric Cosmer, but they also you know let's say one of these prospects works out like that's a great trade for the Red Sox. Yeah, which I mean they got what the number eleventh prospect from the Padres. Yeah, Max uh, yeah. Ferguson, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um. All right. Who's uh, I think very young. Yeah, I think he's like yeah he's like eighteen or something. So I mean he could rise up the ranks or he could mm-hmm. fall way down. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, we'll see. We will. We will see for sure. And uh, the last deal the Padres, um, or I guess last on on the order here is uh they traded for Brandon Drury, who uh is who's kind of been. Thus far, uh, up to uh, 2022 is kind of a journeyman, like infielder, um, you know, had been on a lot of teams before Arizona, Toronto, the Mets uh, and the Yankees um, before. Jays, uh, I think, too. Um, he may have been in the A's organization. I said but, Jays. Oh, Jays. Yeah, yeah. Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Brandon Drury, he is a free agent after this year. Um, but with Cincinnati, he had a 274 average and 855 OPS. He had hit 20 home runs in 92 games. Um, you know, great American probably has a little bit to do with that, but still 20 home runs in, uh, in 92 games from this infielder, uh, very good sign. So Padres went out and got him. I think, uh, it, it seems like kind of, um, just maybe they were looking for, Ha Song Kim with offense. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this is, I mean, first of all, Brandon Jury uh, took a $900,000 contract at the start of this year, which is yeah. like pretty cool that he gets to, he played well enough to, unfortunately, not with the All Star team. You, you argue, you could argue he should have, but uh, he was, he is now on a contending team. He had a grand slam in his first at bat. Um, the Padres traded a guy who is not even in the Reds' top 30 prospects currently, unless they just haven't updated yet, and he's still listed as in the Padres system. Right. Hang on. I'm not seeing him here either. So, uh, oh, wait. Yeah, no, I'm not seeing him here either. So they kind of just, they traded a guy who is not ranked in either farm system. Um, which I guess makes sense. I mean, it's a one-year deal for, yeah, like you like you mentioned, a guy that uh, only got a $900,000 contract. Um, was, they're kind of selling high on, I guess. Um, yeah, tr- yeah, trying to get value out of him. I mean, like, yeah, the, the Reds are a last-place team currently, and you got to try mm-hmm. and get however much you can. Um, I said – that he's Ha Song Kim with offense, but I mean, yeah, Ha Song Kim's defense is definitely much better. But I think mm-hmm. maybe they just figured, let's get the offense, um, and maybe, you know, I mean, Ha Song Kim though, I mean, his OPS plus was over a hundred when I saw it, when I checked it, it was at one hundred four. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering how that's going to be utilized. That should be interesting. I don't know. I guess yeah, no, I, I I see that. 
Yeah. Um, Stay tuned to find out. I mean, they're they've had a log jam in the infield for years, and this is without uh, this is without Tatis. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess the DH definitely gives them more options now because what you could go, uh, Bell at first, Cronenworth at second, Tatis Machado, Jury DHing. Yeah, and then you have a pretty quality piece. There? You have a pretty quality piece in Hassan Kim just, yep. just on the bench. I don't know. Like, yeah, uh, I mean, that's a defensive replacement, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he has. I know B WAR can exaggerate defense, but he has three point one B WAR right now, and that doesn't really happen on accident. Mm-hmm. Um, I should look at his F WAR. I'm talking about Hassan Kim, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, such a fun spelling too. Mm-hmm. Ah, song, fangraphs. Pull him up. Pull him up. He has, um, two point three F four. Like, wow. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like Ha Song Kim's toe might be more valuable than Brandon Drury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that Padres lineup. Yeah, this is a good bet to have. He is a good bet to have in case anything else happens in that infield injury-wise. Hopefully not. Yeah. Um, all right. The other big deals included uh, – it was kind of the first big pin to drop. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, first... this really set the tone. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I guess – well, we already talked about Andrew Benatendi, but um, the Mariners trading for Luis Castillo – and trading uh Noavi Marte, who was the the headline of this of this yeah. package. I mean the top like a top ten prospect in major league baseball. Uh now the top ten prospect, now the number one prospect in the red system. Uh on MLB Pipeline's most recent uh prospect list, he's he has fell a little bit, uh, but he's the number 17 prospect in baseball, which is nothing to complain about. Um but you look at him, you get uh, Levi Stout, who's a right-handed pitcher, Edwin Arroyo, and Andrew Moore, uh, who are in the Mariners, who, of course, were in the Mariners system. Like, pretty good prospects, too. Um, I believe that there was another, like, I saw a tweet arguing that, like, um, Arroyo was, like, the headliner in this because he's a he's an A-ball prospect uh, who is a 903 OPS this year with three different teams. He's also 18 years old, so like he yeah. has a lot of time to uh, develop. Yeah, like already the number six prospect in Cincinnati system at 18. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that really set the tone for the market. But you know what? It's cool to see the Mariners going all in. Oh yeah, for sure. And um, this is not not necessarily a complete rental. He, you know, Luis Castillo has this year and he has next year. And of course, the Mariners could try to extend him. Um, this kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, the Jose Barrios deal last year, um, mm-hmm. where and funny to see where Barrios is at this year, but like, but also you know, funny to see where like Austin Martin is at. Yeah, <laughs> like, last, I'm pretty sure he's off the. I'm pretty sure he's off the top 100 prospects list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like last year. Last year, Barrios. Um, was good and Austin Martin was a top prospect uh, so take yourself take yourselves back into that world but so Jose Barrios you know who 
you know, he, he was a guy who had like number one, number two, uh, in the rotation type stuff and was doing pretty well. He got traded to the blue from the twins to the blue Jays for, um, a guy who was like top, a top 20 prospect in baseball and Austin Martin, um, and another top 100 prospect in baseball. And, uh, it seemed like a lot, but the Blue Jays extended Brios this offseason. So, you know, they're getting like eight years out of Brios instead of one and a half. I think the same thing could potentially happen with Castillo. Maybe not a seven-year extension, but, you know, maybe a five-year extension uh, this this up, upcoming offseason. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I could see that for sure. This sets up for a really, by the way, Austin Martin out of the top 100 prospects list. What a what a deal for Toronto, even though Barrios has been struggling this year. Hey, uh, same with Simeon Woods make up for it. Yeah, facts. Um, but yeah, this sets up for a really exciting Mariners rotation next year, especially with you know Logan Gilbert developing a lot more this year, taking a step forward, and with George Kirby. Uh, really, the only thing we need to see out of George Kirby is less home runs allowed, which there's more than enough reason to believe that he can give us that because his strikeouts to walks uh, has been, has been pretty excellent this year. I'm just pulling up his numbers real quick. That's basically um, what Logan Gilbert was doing last yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. Look at, listen to this, Chris. So 73 and a third innings pitch for George Kirby this year. Um, uh-huh. A three, five, six. All right. Which is very good. Yeah. All right. 73 strikeouts, 11 walks. Yeah, and also and, and twelve home runs allowed. He has more home runs allowed than walks. That is a great walk rate. Great walk. Yes, six point six four strikeouts per walk. That is actually like excellent, especially in an age twenty four rookie season. Uh, all you need, all you need to see is less home runs given up, and he's pretty much got everything. Oh, what is his xFIP right now? I bet his xFIP is like ridiculous. Yeah, probably. Um, unless he's a big fly ball pitcher. Oops. He might be. Um, yeah. Uh, his exit is three three eight. That's that's solid. Yeah, yeah, that is solid. So anyway, this sets up for a really good Mariners rotation next year with Robbie Ray, uh, Luis Castillo, uh, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, and then maybe Emerson Hancock if he's ready. If not, Chris Flexen, Marco Gonzalez. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if if the Mariners extend, and I, I looked up uh, the Mariners' estimated payroll next year, and Baseball Reference has, including options, they're at $128 million. So, I mean, they have mm-hmm. room to potentially extend Luis Castillo. I think they've, you know, they've spent before, and I think they would be willing to spend uh, in, a comp- in a competitive spot. So, um, I think if they had... Castillo and Ray locked up for the next four years. I think that, and then with Gilbert under control and Kirby under control, I think that sets up for a very exciting future, but mm-hmm. we should also talk about how this, what this could mean for, for this year, because I mean, that's kind of why the Mariners made this deal. Uh, they have a playoff spot or, or well, like, you know, they haven't clinched it, but they're, if the season ended today, they're in a playoff spot. I should see where they're seated to see who they would, Base in a game if the season ended today um they would face the blue jays um starting at the rogers center 
And I think, yeah, I think this, I think this uh, move really, I think it legitimizes the, um, le- legitimizes the Mariners as a playoff threat uh, a lot more for sure. Yeah. I mean, we know the, uh, we know the story in Seattle, right? You know, they're trying to, they're trying to break the drought. It's been over 20 years now since the last time they, they made the postseason, and they've just, you know, they've had so many good teams in the past that have just come up short. And this team has felt like the most legitimate all year. And now they're really going all in. Yeah. Yeah. And good but, for them. Yeah. And, and, and they went all in, in the off season, getting, Winkers, Suarez, and Robbie Ray, um, mm-hmm. and they're going all in at the trade deadline, which is, I mean, if you're a Mariners fan, you have to be extremely happy, extremely happy with that. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, I mean, in terms of yeah, their playoff destiny, how long is Julio Rodriguez supposed to be out for? Uh, not that long, I don't think. Um, because. We haven't actually got gotten to him. Yeah. On the hand I, by a pitch. Um, As of right now on fan graphs, it says no timetable for return, which is usually what it says. Um, But they're also getting Mitch Hanniger back very soon, who's been on the 60-day IL since the end of April. Um, Yeah, yeah. Julio Rodriguez injury. Which, you know, I know that, you know, Julio is the face of this franchise right now, but Mitch Hanniger has been the heart and soul of this team the, just about the entire time he's been here. You know, there was that article he wrote in the Players' Tribune last year uh, where he basically I think I your lineup every day and he's producing. Like, obviously, he's not going to produce as much as Julio Rodriguez, but his presence almost has that same effect where it's like, this is our guy, we're going around him. Yeah, he'll he'll definitely hit you a home run for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not seeing anything on when Rodriguez will come back. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, he'll be back for the postseason, I would imagine. Um, yes, I mean, let's hope he's back for September because you got to make the postseason first. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I think this the rest of the Mariners roster can can handle things um they also got kyle lewis back a few weeks back he yeah he's been i don't know it looks like he's getting bad because i see he only has he has a 157 average but he has 14 strikeouts in 16 games which is like not too much um no that does that does appear so yeah kyle lewis has a 147 bad this year um, that's tough so i mean i would imagine he uh things get a little better for him um yeah his line drive rate is 18.9 percent his hard hit rate is below average exit velocity is kind of above average though anyway i'm rambling Mm -hmm. um yeah but but uh but yeah i think uh yeah like that that's a good like ray castillo or in, in no matter the order like gilbert castillo ray I like that combination in the playoffs. All right. And that'll um that'll transition. All right. So um Mariners. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I mean that sets up a really good rotation with Ray Castillo, Gilbert, and you even have George Kirby in there who's been excellent lately. Uh you know, the only thing that's been an issue from his home runs 
but he hasn't given one up since July. So uh, he's been exciting to watch, and he's just a rookie. Gilbert, of course, is under lots of team control. Ray, they just signed to a big contract, and you can see what they now have for 2023. And I would be surprised, like you mentioned, if there's a Jose Barrio situation here where they extend him. Uh, and the, probably the most important thing about the Mariners' season going down the stretch here, they don't play the Astros again. The Astros have owned them all year. They've played all 19 games against the Astros this season. So for the next two months, they don't have to worry about that team, which is awesome for them because the division's out of question at this point. Realistically, I think the Astros have that unlocked. They are, they're close to the best record in the American League. They're only half a game behind the Yankees right now. But, yeah. you know, if you're the Mariners, you just got to focus on that wild card and you don't have to worry about the team that's been beating you all year. Exactly. And, you know, the Mar- if you're from a Mariners perspective, the – Astros are really the only um, the only difficult team to face in that division. Um, so they got Rangers. They probably have a lot of Rangers, Angels, and yes. Athletics games, um, especially which especially post trade trade deadline um, should not be too difficult to win. So I think I think that sets up a good position for them um, moving forward. Uh, I should look at their um strength of schedule shout out to tankathon.com who always comes through mm-hmm. um i i don't know where the original or the origin of that site but they have some good stuff um yeah seattle has the uh easiest strength of schedule for the remainder of the season so yeah that is that is big big time big time so maybe highlights a little bit of why they were struggling initially. They probably had some hard games, but I mean, looking at um, what Tankathon has for us, uh, they have nine games against the A's remaining. That's pretty big. Seven games against the angels, uh, six games against the Rangers. So yeah. um, In a pretty good spot. Seattle is and Luis Castillo definitely adds to that. Yeah, that's exciting. Very exciting. Very exciting. Um, did Seattle do anything else um, at the trade let? Trade uh, let they got before? Jake Lamb. Oh, yeah. What I, remember, what I remember Jake Lamb most for is... 2017. I remember um, there's that famous video of Buster Posey throwing the ball back to Jake Peavy and Jake Peavy looks off to the side to yell at like the third base umpire and, and uh, it lands right in, <laughs> it lands right in Peavy's glove and there's just Jake Lamb at the plate. They always have a close up of him just going like, Ooh, like, Oh, that was almost, that was almost dangerous, but it worked out perfectly. Um, he was nice in 2017 though. Yeah. Uh, I uh, should look at the stats. Um, I also remember him, he was, when Matt Chapman came out in 2020 for the season, he was their replacement, or he was his replacement. Nice. Uh, yeah, 844, oh yeah, he had a he had a 30 and 100 season in 2017. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Yeah, that's what you want. That's pretty quality. So uh, many Diamondbacks players had career years. I was just thinking about this the other night. While I was trying to go to bed, you know, like when you're trying to go to bed and you just think about the most random stuff, it was like 1.30 and I was trying to name the entire Diamondbacks rotation from 2017. (laughs) 
and I got completely stuck on Zach Godley. I was like, oh my God, who is that Zach guy they had? The Red Sox got him like years later when he was bad, but they had one guy named Zach who was awesome. I should have said who was Godley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he was nice. Like the worst pitcher, like the worst starting pitcher they had that year is probably Patrick Corbin with like a four oh eight FIP. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the Diamondbacks just had a sneaky good sneaky good twenty seventeen. I, I had him going to the World Series that year. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like it was a lot more people than I thought would had like Cleveland versus Arizona. I I know you had Houston. I had Houston. So you you got that right. Um, Nailed that one. Yeah. I knew they were cheating. Yes, yes. Yeah, I was I, like, yeah. well, you have to factor in the Astros. We'll have those buzzers. Daniel Daniel had the inside scoop, but he sat yeah. on the information. <laughs> yeah, no, I could have broken this like during the playoffs. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to wait till a completely random time where it doesn't matter anymore because this isn't that big of a story, really. Yeah, waiting on the Mike Fires leak and Evan Drellick <laughs> to scoop it up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I knew Evan Jellick would be a national reporter in 2017, even though he was just with the Red Sox back then. Yeah, yeah, he was a who? Yeah, who was even with? I forget. Uh, NBC Sports Boston. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and then he became national athletic guy, just mm-hmm. getting the biggest stories. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, anyway. Um, yeah, they got Jake Lamb, the Mariners did. Um yes. five years too late, unfortunately. But yeah, I don't know. He could he could make some contributions. Um I don't know. He's been in a lot of organizations since, since the Diamondbacks and unfortunately has not done much of anything. Right, right. So we've done Soto, we've done Castillo. Should we talk what if about... we uh what if we just kept a chain going and now that we've talked about Castillo, we kept talking about the Reds because they did sell off more pieces than just um than just uh, Drury and Castillo. Um. Yeah. Uh. They did get rid of Tyler Molle. There wasn't that much um noise on that one. I feel like that kind of get swept. Which out I of never the understood. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um. I feel like and... we should almost just like we should just like rapid fire this. Yeah. Let's just talk about Tyler Malley. He went to the Twins. Um. For uh. Spencer Steer, who was the Twins' number seven prospect, and Stephen Hodger, who was the 18 prospect in the system. Also, Christian Encarnacion, number Christian Encarnacion Strand. That's a great name, number 23 in the system. Uh, you know, the, the Minnesota rotation has been beaten down pretty badly this year, and they definitely needed a guy like Tyler Molly. He'll be uh, reunited with Sonny Gray in that same rotation, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and, and the obvious parallel to make is Sonny Gray. I mean, he got traded from the Reds to the Twins just last year. And Sonny Gray was like, he didn't have the greatest of results last year. And then this year, 319 ERA, 346 FIP, only 0.8 home runs per nine. Um, we've talked about Tyler Molly's home road splits endlessly, and he has much better luck with the home run ball uh, away from Great Amer- American Ballpark, which makes a lot of sense. And now he's going to, um, now he's going to Target Field, where I mean, on Baseball Reference, the Park Factor, um, the Park Factor. Looking at the Park Factor, Park Factors for one year is ninety-seven for batting, ninety-six for pitching, 
And for those unaware, um, with Park Factor, 100 is an average ballpark and over 100 leans offense, under 100 leans pitching. So target field, if it's 97, is on the pitching side, pitcher-friendly ballpark. Um, and Tyler Molle, I, I mean, I, 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 love, I love this move for the Reds. I mean, because they already, they basically already made this trade, like, what was it, five months ago? Yeah. <laughs> so, and it worked out for them. So it's going to, I feel like it's going to work out again. Yeah, this is, it's hard not to like this move if you're a Reds fan. Uh, Mally, does he have, he has a year and a half of control also, I believe. If you're, you have to love this move if you're a Reds fan or a Twins fan. Twins fan, that's what yeah. I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a Reds fan, yeah, I mean, you, you don't have to love it, but I think you understand why it was going to happen, I guess. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, They also, the Reds also got rid of Tommy Pham, but I feel like we don't need to, too much on that staying with the twins actually um they also got jorge lopez from the orioles who we yeah. were never sure what his trade value was going to look like but yeah they they did it and i i would like to talk about this because there's been a lot of controversy over whether the orioles should have sold or not what what are you because they also traded trey mancini to the astros what are your thoughts on the orioles and their trades um i so i know uh trey mancini is has been a staple of the or you know definitely over the past few years has become like the face of the Orioles mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people were rightfully upset when he got traded but I do understand I understand the trade more with Trey Mancini than I do the Jorge Lopez trade and that's all, all solely to do with uh the players controls I think um I think Lopez had two years of has two more years of control after this Mancini like they traded Mancini to Houston hypothetically they can sign him back and get him get him next year Orioles can't do that with Jorge Lopez and Jorge Lopez was an all-star this year 175 ERA uh, 294 expected ERA crazy jump in fastball velocity and strikeout rate um, and uh, a ground ball machine also like I think they really should have uh, kept him on the team for a potential 2023 2024 playoff run um i think if i were an orioles fan i'd be a little more upset with that because mancini is going to be back on the market and i can't see uh, or maybe maybe houston would but i can't see houston like re-signing him i could but i could also see baltimore being competitive-ish and making an offer exactly I think Baltimore would try to pull a move where it's like, hey, we're going to give you an offer. It's a little less, but would you be willing to take less to, to come back? Because I think for the right price, Trey Mancini would take less to come back to Baltimore. You know, he's spoken very highly about the organization. Obviously, he's gone through so much in the last couple of years, and the Orioles have treated him just about the best way they could have. And he's openly said for years, even before, you know, all this stuff happened in 2020, that he wanted to see the rebuild through and he wanted to be out there on the other side of it. And it looks like next year is going to be the first year where the Orioles really have expectations. So I think it's going to be fun to see Trey Mancini come back to there. You know, I don't know if he's going to have a spot on the roster come that time because we might be looking at Gunnar Henderson on the team. We might be looking at, uh, you know, Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes still in the outfield. But, you know, if they can find a way to get him on that roster, and they definitely can, uh, yeah. I'd say go for it. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a, he's a good DH option for sure. Mm -hmm. Um. 
and I could definitely see that come into play. But yeah, I mean, Mount Castle's playing first. Um, you know, like Gunnar Henderson, he is he like a general infielder or is he at like one spot? I thought it was an outfielder. Am I wrong? Or I could be wrong. Outfielder, my bad. Yeah. Um yeah, so he's an outfielder. I mean, like, yeah, I think, yeah, I think Mancini has a spot as a DH. And oh, never mind. Gunnar Henderson is a shortstop and third baseman. I am wrong. Um, he also has a 9.46 ERA in 46 games in AAA. OPS. Yeah. What yeah, I say? Yeah. ERA. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe he pitched like a couple innings and in blowout games. They put their best player out there. Yeah, he has yeah. a 9.46 OPS uh, in AAA in 46 games. So that's 297, 405, 541. And yeah. he's twenty and he's twenty one years old and was just drafted. He was drafted in twenty nineteen as a yeah. second round pick, by the way. Like your team could have had Gunnar Henderson. If you're listening yes. to this. Yeah. Pretty true. Pretty true. Excellent, excellent scouting there from Baltimore. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, or a lot of things are coming up Orioles, which is why it kind of surprised me that they let go of Lopez. Perhaps I think the only justification for that is they saw they thought Lopez's value had peaked and he didn't they didn't see him being a dominant closer in the long run mm-hmm. and uh and they wanted to capitalize on it and maybe get maybe get a little something for him you um, know i think grayson rodriguez is on the 60 day il that sucks because he is he's pitched 56 innings in triple a has a 209 era 209 ra9 he hasn't even given up an honored run that's pretty remarkable. Wow. Uh, and a 5.71 strikeouts per walk and 0.2 home runs per night. He's given up one home run in uh, in 56 innings. I was going to say we could see him in September, but if he's on the 60-day IL, we're probably not seeing him until like May or June next year. Right, right. That's unfortunate. I think we could see Gunnar Henderson on the opening day roster next year, though. Um, but, yeah, going back into the, the stuff, there's a lot. there's been a lot of talk over whether the Orioles should have sold or not. And – you know, Jorge Lopez is definitely the much more questionable move between those two, but they still have a lot of good bullpen pieces. And, you know, let's be honest, the Orioles, yeah, they're performing above expectations right now. They're exciting to watch. They are in the playoff hunt in August, which is what nobody expected. But are they going to win the World Series? Probably not. Do they have a good enough team to beat the Astros or the, or the Yankees in the playoffs? Probably not. Are there many teams in the playoff picture that they have a good chance to beat? Maybe, but probably not. So this is a team that, you know, we're lo- you know, the Orioles are looking long term. You know, you don't want to buy too high right now because you need to stay realistic and looking at the future. You know, you don't want to give up some future pieces for guys for this year. And I I, I think selling was maybe it wasn't the right move, but it definitely wasn't the wrong move. Yeah, yeah. I and they definitely shouldn't have bought hard. That's no. for sure. If you're going to buy, buy guys with control that aren't that cost effective. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, Orioles, for sure, interesting situation. I mean, two months ago, that wouldn't have even been a conversation. But because of their uh, amazing success the past couple months, they... They have the best record in the AL over the last two months. By the way... Adley Rushman has like a 489 OBP over his last like X amount of games. That's not like three games. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, he's been, he's been 
as advertised over the last few few games. Like his uh he's been figuring it out very quickly in the majors. And the the amazing thing, like he's good at everything. Like there's not a single thing you could really ask him to improve on right now. Yeah, yeah. Rutschman, um, yeah, spoiler alert, he's not my how about that, but I was looking at him as a potential how about that and like um hard hit rate like since july 6th his hard hit rate is like 48 percent he is um, a, you want to know his slash line since uh since july 16th um yeah go ahead 389 528 593 11 20 yeah and and, and by the way good catching like good defense good base running like good like elite pop time very good framing like there's legit nothing more you could ask from him right now. And his, his strikeout rate is down too. Yes, he is already a top five catcher, like no doubt in my mind. You could probably even make the case that he's the best catcher in the league right now, outside of like JT Real Muto maybe, because he's also been killing it the last couple of weeks. Right, right. Like, uh, yeah, he's been, yeah, he's been off the charts. And as advertised, like, you know, you understand why he's been, a number one, number two overall prospect since like 2020, 2019. Um, like it, it just, what you expect it, like what you expected out of him is happening <laughs> immediately. Immediately. Like yeah. he was, he struggled for what, like a month maybe. Yeah. There was yeah. a certain day that he definitely, like he had a 451 uh, OPS over through his first 16 games. And since then, he is he has a nine thirty six OPS, yeah. four ten OBP by the way, five twenty six yeah. slugging. Yeah, it took him it took him a month to figure it out. Not even. It's great to also great to see that type of plate discipline. Yes, early in the career. That's that's a huge green flag. Like high walk rate, low strikeout rate. Um that that's a recipe for long-term success for sure. And he's hitting the ball hard. Um, so, um, so yeah, or so yeah, Orioles sold, um, sold a little bit. Yeah. Uh, all right. Where should we? Yeah. So, and Joe, I mean, when, now that we just talked about Trey Mancini, should we talk about the Astros? Yes. Yeah. I was trying to, I was trying to do the, uh, the old, like connect the dots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Astros, they got, yeah, they got Christian Vasquez. They got Trey Mancini. Um, they got Will Smith for Joe, <laughs> Jake Odorizzi. Um, Will Smith, the pitcher, left-handed pitcher, by the way. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, should we start, where should we start, Mancini or Vasquez? Let's start with Mancini just because we just talked about the Orioles. Yeah. Um, yeah, Trey Mancini uh you know he's been kind of a he's been a consistent bat basically his whole career um you know not a guy known for defense but he's someone who uh can play play first base he can dh he um has a 761 ops this year biggest takeaway from trey mancini this year is the effect of waltimore that you know, Camden Yards moved their left field wall back about 20 feet and raised the raised the um raised the wall like another 10 feet. 
It was pretty crazy, and it's helped out their pitching staff a ton. But Trey Mancini was the biggest victim of it from the Orioles' offense, as uh, I should look at the home runs versus expected home runs. Um, it, it, he's down like seven. Yeah, like he's third. So that means, yeah, he's expected to have, based on like the average ballpark, he's expected to have seven more home runs than he actually has. Um, One of the funniest things about Baltimore was early in the season when people were tracking like the uh, the the long fly balls that were getting caught on the warning track because of the dead in baseballs. You looked at like every venue and like the uh, the difference between slugging and expected slug, and they were all off the charts. But then there was Baltimore just in a different league because you you combine those two things. Yeah, there was like a 100 point difference in like May, and I'm not even kidding. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah, Mancini has is expected to have 18.6 homers. He has 13, and I would imagine, I'd imagine that's changed drastically in his short stint with the Astros because in, he's played six games with Houston and he already has three home runs. So look out. Yes. Um. Yeah, he's going to love the Crawford boxes, and that's going to drive his value up, too. Yeah, because, yeah, left field, left field line in Camden Yards is like 355, and Crawford boxes is 315 down the line. 40-foot difference. Yeah, he's going to um, love it there. He's going to love it there. Um, so I think, I think that's the biggest takeaway with that. And then uh, Christian Vasquez, uh, Houston needed – Needed needed a lot more offense from their catcher. Desperately, like anything. But, yeah, um, I mean Martin Maldonado is a great defensive catcher, but like I think his lack of offense just outweighed whether whatever defense he was performing. And they got Christian Vasquez, who, um, with Boston before the trade, uh, was hitting two eighty two with the seven fifty nine OPS, and I think he was trending very much in the right direction as well. I should uh, look at his game logs. What What were your thoughts on the uh, Christian Vasquez deal? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of question marks over what the Red Sox were going to do at the deadline, and they partially buyed and partially sold. The only player they sold was Vasquez, and I feel pretty optimistic. I mean, you've seen Emmanuel Vasquez in per- or uh, Emmanuel Valdez in person. What were your thoughts there? Um, yeah, Emmanuel Val- – yeah, I saw both – Emmanuel Valdez and Ronaldo Hernandez. Um, and um, by the way, Ronaldo Hernandez, they got from the Rays. Uh, Vasquez Milner Abreu, I think his name was. Oh, I thought, uh, oh, oh, yeah, Val. So Valdez, they got in the Astros deal, yes, with Vasquez. Oh, so yeah, he was the three hitter. I saw him hit an opposite field home run in person. Shout out to the Worcester Red Sox. Yeah. Or what they were called that night, which was Los Huepas de Worcester. Um, interesting, interesting uh, promotional night they were having. Yeah, I saw him hit an in, in, uh, opposite field home run um, off of Taj Bradley, who is Baseball America's number 16 prospect in baseball. Um, so, yeah, Emmanuel Valdez, I don't, based on the eye test, he's looking like a, he's looking really good out there. Yeah, no, he's already he already has multiple home runs in the Red Sox organization. He had two in his first three games. Anyway, my point here being, the reason the reason the Red Sox did not sell on JD Martinez or Nathan Avaldi was because, according to all reports, they were asking for way more than they were ever going to get. I think for for uh, 
JD, they were asking for like a top five organizational prospect, a major league ready player and one other piece, which they were never getting for JD Martinez. And yeah. Nathan Navaldi, there weren't specific details, but it's it sounded like the Red Sox asking price was also sky high. So I would have to imagine they also did the same for Christian Vasquez, and they also happened to have gotten a deal with the Astros. So they were like, "Wait, we're actually you're actually going to give us that?" Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know, and good for good for the Red Sox on that move because like mm-hmm. with Martinez and Navaldi, like uh, you know, I, I guess it would have been beneficial to trade them, but. You know, I mean, if you do trade them, the chance of re-signing them does go down, uh, I would imagine. So mm-hmm. because you're kind of losing that relationship. Um, and uh, and yeah, so. So, yeah, they they so, yeah, Houston gets Vasquez uh, Vasquez, by the way, in his uh, 35 games heading into the trade was hitting 305 with an 871 OPS. Um he was doing pretty well. Uh low strikeout rate during that time frame as well. Only 20 strikeouts and 138 plate appearances, which is like 15% or something like that. Um yeah, yeah. so uh, was do we know like Emmanuel Valdez Valdez's like specific ranking or anything? Uh, in the Red Sox system, not right now, or in the Astros yeah. system, no. But he's a Triple A player that's pretty young, so it's definitely you. You got to be optimistic about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so anyway, uh, so I guess we that leads into I guess we could talk about the Red Sox a little bit. Um, yeah, definitely. Like, we're gonna loop back around to the Padres or yeah, the Reds. <laughs> Maybe the White Sox. We'll talk about next. Yeah, it, it was uh it was kind of what you expected out of Heim Bloom in a way. Expect the unexpected. Yeah. yeah. Like you don't really know what's going on. <laughs> um yeah, the Red Sox, they acquired Tommy Pham, they acquired Reese McGuire for Jake Diekman. They, you know, got rid of Christian Vasquez. Uh they acquired um eric hosmer um for you know for cash jay groom and they also got san diego's number 11 and number 26 prospects um what what did you think about the what the red sox did uh it was kind of what i expected i'd give them like a c plus or b minus i guess i mean they definitely Uh didn't do a whole lot but I'd say they slightly improved the major league roster and definitely strengthened the farm system quite a bit. You know, I mean, you got Eric Hosmer for basically free and there's no complaints there. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Pham is, is a rental. I'm pretty sure he's a free agent after this year and whatever. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And then you got, uh, you got Reese McGuire, who is a, a backup catcher that has very good defensive metrics. I think he has like seven uh, defensive runs saved and like just under 400 innings. So that's definitely encouraging. Um, because you obviously traded your catcher and you really don't have much production out of that position outside of that guy. Yeah. Um, they also traded Jake Diekman to the White Sox for, you know, for Reese McGuire straight up. That was the only move the White Sox made, by the way. Yeah. Is not, I mean, they've had a lot of injuries, so you can kind of figure, you know, they'll do like that PR thing where it's like, well, you know, the, uh, the real dead deadline acquisitions are the guys we're getting back. Yeah. Yeah, that we you know. Every, there's at least one team every year that loves to do that. 
Yes. Sometimes it's valid, like the Mets being like, hey, we're getting Jacob DeGrom. Like, yes, that's right. that's perfectly valid. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. The White Sox, not the greatest showing from Rick Hahn. That poor guy, man. That guy worked for years to build an incredible farm system and build a legit competing major league roster only for one guy to hire Tony La Russa and ruin it all. Yeah, exactly. Because at this point, I'm really starting to wonder how long the White Sox championship window is. Yeah, for sure. Especially, like, there are guys just on that team who are not, like, they're not completely living up to uh, expectations, like, right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, Lucas Giolito has had some struggles this year. Uh, Lance Lynn after coming back from injury has not been the same Lance Lynn we've come to know in the last three years. Michael Kopech has been struggling lately. Uh, Yoan Moncada has been a mix of injured and underperforming. Yasmani Grandal is underperforming. Leroy Garcia is still in the everyday lineup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just. um... Louise Roberts been hurt. Eloy Jimenez has been hurt. Tim Anderson has been hurt. Jose Abreu has been fine. He's probably, he's probably been the best piece on that team consistently all season. Yeah, um, yeah. Giolito had that period where he was underperforming, but he's been better since. Um, Liam Hendricks was hurt for a little bit. I mean, yeah, they were they were beaten down so badly. Yeah, and uh, still only three games back in the AL Central. <laughs> Crazy to think. Crazy to think. Um, that's the division for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, with, with the White Sox not trade, not going for a, for a full buy, um, I mean, it sort of makes sense given that I think this was a seller's market. Um, it definitely was like at, at this trade deadline, the Reds, the Reds really set it up for the rest of the league. Yes. Um, While we're talking about the Chicago teams, can we talk about the Cubs and what the hell they did or didn't yeah. do? What yeah. was that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Wilson Contreras, I mean, would have was the obvious move. He's a free agent after this year. Um, he's been uh, one of the best catchers in baseball this year, and he's consistently been a very good catcher, especially on the offensive side. Uh, and then... They traded a he, bunch of relief pitchers, and that's it. They traded Chris Martin... Sorry to interrupt you, Chris. Uh, they traded Chris Martin. They traded uh, Scott Efros to the Yankees. They traded Michael Givens to the Mets. They traded David Robertson back to the Phillies. Yeah. Yeah. They just they just cleared out the bullpen. Yeah, Wilson Contreras, who had a lot of trade value, um, especially with some significant, uh, significant significant teams lacking a consistent catcher. He had a lot of value, uh, but he did not he did not get traded at the trade deadline. So the Cubs will get their um compensatory pick and uh move on, move on with 2023. And then it's they a also good thing the Cubs gotta be so happy that the international draft is not a thing so that the qualifying offer system came back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For those unaware, if you as long as you give a guy a qualifying offer at the end of the year which is usually one year 18 million dollars or 19 million dollars uh and they reject it you get like you get a draft pick in like the 20s 
uh like 20s overall so you get like like, 30s or yeah third i think yeah i think it's more like 30s after like the first round is over you get a pick yes um and uh and yeah it's turned into like you can you can get a pretty high value pick out of that but that's what the cubs are going to be relying on is can and definitely not will yeah yes definitely not will um yeah ian happ and wilson Contreras stayed uh, I know Mets fans were very upset about that because they were in on Contreras. The Mets also didn't do a whole ton. But it does seem like the guys they did get have been valuable. Like, we already talked about Daniel Vogelbach and Tyler Naquin. Mostly Vogelbach has been uh, doing very well for them. Yes. That, is uh, that it? Is that the – oh, they got Darren Ruff. Yeah, they got Darren Ruff. Um, yeah, heck yeah. Kind of a platoon guy. I mean, Definitely I, I mean, a platoon. I noticed yesterday that um, he was playing first base instead of Pete Alonso. So, I mean, better defensively there. Um, and, yeah, could platoon with, like, Vogelbach potentially. Um, yeah, he's definitely a guy that can hit lefties. At DH, yeah. he. I mean, last year, I mean, he hasn't been the same this year, but I know last year he was – he had an OPS of, like, over 1,000 against lefties. Um, so he's definitely got a – Got he, that had some going 20, for him. he had some 2021 Giants magic in him, no doubt. He did. He did. Um, let's stay in the division. I, there's not really much to talk about with the Mets. So let's stay in the division and talk about the Phillies because they made some interesting moves. Yeah, yeah. Uh some some exciting moves, I, I guess. Like yeah. They got um they got Noah Syndergaard. Um I mean, yeah, kind of, you know, I guess that fulfilled like you know the thing of like oh fun for fun for storylines yeah and like oh if the, the angels got him on a one-year deal so if they suck this year they can get a trade out of him and that's exactly what happened yeah um, they got mickey moniak a former number one overall pick out of that um the i think the most intriguing move here one that i definitely was never expecting from either side uh the phillies got brandon marsh from the angels yes they got him uh, for Logan O'Hop, who is the who at the time was number three prospect in the Phillies organization. I believe he's the top prospect in the Angels system now. Yeah, I, I know he was uh top one hundred. Um, probably. I mean, I don't think MLB pipeline has updated their stuff, but they definitely haven't. Top, Ma- Baseball top America 100. just updated theirs today. They have an eighteen-year-old from the Brewers as the number two prospect overall. Yeah, out of Venezuela, I I had to look him up today. Mm-hmm. Jackson choreo or cario or Corey, something. yeah something like that um but yeah uh trying to look trying to look here chofolis uh command f oh hop logan O'Hop. he's 85th 85th uh best prospect in baseball according to mlb pipeline um the most significant moment of his career was uh when he was at uh, Yankee Stadium for like um, I think it was like a COVID COVID summer training game or something, and he was hitting at Yankee Stadium, uh, and he was like smiling because he was a Yankee fan like two like before he was drafted, mm-hmm. um, that was like a viral clip, but now he's going to the the Angels. He's going as far away as possible. Yeah, and now <laughs> and he's actually good. Yeah, yeah, and he's actually good. That's cool. That's I can see cool. him as like a Yankee in 2027 or something when the Angels give up on him too. Yes. 
Um, uh, he had his first home run in the Angels system the other day, so that's cool. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. Def- I definitely didn't expect either of these pieces to be parted with, but the Phillies, you know, they're going for the playoffs right now, and Bryce Harper's out for maybe the rest of the year, so why not? And you know, like I mentioned, they also got David Robertson. They got Edmundo Sosa from the Cardinals. Yeah, and they got yeah. Syndergaard, and that's about it. That's about all they did, but not not a bad deadline, I'd say, from Dave Dombrowski. Yeah, yeah, I, I like, I like getting Syndergaard, especially when like, um, I think Kyle Gibson and Ranger Suarez haven't been what they mm-hmm. expected this year, um, so they added a little bit of reinforcement. Uh, gonna be pitching against his former team, uh, consistently. And yeah, there's potential of a re-sign. And uh, now, since we just mentioned Edmundo Sosa, uh, we should talk about the Cardinals and some of the moves they made. They had uh, the most Cardinals trade deadline you could ever imagine. Yes. Two two like main pieces that they got back, both both left-handed pitchers that are not like gonna blow you away with velocity. Right, right. They got uh, Jose Quintana, um, who was surprisingly good for pittsburgh this year and what was the other arm they got jordan montgomery that's yes okay yeah they got that um for for harrison bader um yeah uh very yeah very fitting kind of funny how it works how it worked out and i mean it 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 does play well to their team uh though because i mean you know they're they're not strikeout guys. They rely kind of on their defense. And what has Jeff Flaherty been healthy this year? He's not been healthy. No, that's such a shame because they're they're streaking right now. They're sixteen forty eight in first place in the National League Central. Uh, they just swept the Yankees. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. and they're primarily in the rotation this year. Has been Adam Wainwright, Miles Michaelis, Dakota Hudson, Stephen Matz has struggled, and it's on the IL. So getting these two other arms is definitely huge. Yes. Yes, it has. Um, yeah, like, uh, yeah, it definitely adds depth. And, you know, getting those types of guys, I think it's going to play well with that St. Louis defense. Um, I mean, I, I, they the St. Louis defense hasn't been as great as it was last year, but it's still very quality defense. So One of the better ones in the league, no doubt. Um, you know, it's funny because – it's, I don't want to say it's funny, but Jordan Montgomery is a ground ball pitcher. So that he's going to play very well to that that defense, that, especially the infield, because that's primarily what's so good about them. I mean, you have guys like, you know, Goldschmidt, Edmund, DeYoung, Arenado, uh, Nolan Gorman when he's been up. Yeah. yeah they've said some excellent infield pieces. Gold Glover after Gold Glover. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think, that, I think that really solidifies their rotation for the rest of the year. Uh, it's very fitting, by the way. This is uh, this is just very funny. Uh, Miles Michaelis eight and eight this year. Adam Wainwright eight and eight. Dakota Hudson six and six. Hmm. Yeah, I guess the bullpen's getting all the wins. Um, uh, Ryan Housley six and one. Andre Piante, who was starting, who's now in the bullpen, is five and four. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, they made an interesting move with. Uh, the Yankees, you know, basically major league, you know, major league player for a few years for another major league player for a few years. Um, exactly. Uh, they traded for Harrison Bader, 
Um, traded Harrison Bader. Or yeah. they traded Harrison Bader for Jordan Montgomery. Um, what do you think of that move? It was very weird from the Yankees' perspective. I didn't really understand it. Um, I know that Aaron Hicks has been very bad these last couple of games, and you could use another outfielder, but uh, Harrison Bader is hurt right now, which is odd that they'd trade for that guy. Um, and also, like, Domingo Herman is now their fifth starter. Yeah. Like, they now have a rotation of Garrett Cole, Frankie Montas, who we'll get into, um, Nestor Cortez, Jamison Tyon, Domingo Herman. They could have had – they could have just had uh, Montgomery in that fifth spot, which really solidifies our great rotation. And their outfield, when healthy, is – you know, it's Benatendi, Hicks, Judge, Stanton at DH. And I know that Stanton's not healthy right now, but – they have a lot of offense and it, this move did not really make a lot of sense to me. Like, I think that Hicks and Bader are almost kind of equal. Like they, they Bader is probably a little bit better. He's definitely younger. He has more control, but pretty good amount of parallels between those two, as far as like, you know, offensive production when, when healthy or when at their peak defense center fields didn't really understand that move. I thought the Yankees had a really solid deadline, but that really, left a huge question mark right at the end. And there was also a report that um they had a deal to get Pablo Lopez from the Marlins and Kim Ang backed out of it at 5.59 p.m. <laughs> uh, which, but there was also a report that they uh, wouldn't, like it wouldn't have affected the, the Jordan Montgomery trade, which, you know, I mean, they did probably make that trade banking on the idea that they'd get Pablo Lopez, but didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. So, um. I'm curious, is like, so the Yankees are on a bad stretch. They've lost 16 out of 25. I mean, it hasn't affected their division leader status at all. So I don't think. No, it... but they are only a half game above the Astros for the top record in the AL. Yeah. And I'm curious to see, um, like, where, like, where their starters rank in this span. Because, I mean, I imagine, uh, I imagine, like, yeah, what I totally agree with you that a, I totally agree with you that um, this move comes at a weird time, and it's kind of it's just kind of weird for the Yankees to do this with their start starting rotation the way it is, and I don't know their their lineup was fine, and I think their outfield defense was was fine. I don't know, like. Uh, and they already added an outfielder in Andrew Benintendi, um, who, you know, is probably a little, you know, he's been better than Bader this year. Uh, I'm looking at. He is one for 20 with the Yankees, though. That's true. Actually, uh, he did get Yan two hits. Yeah, he did get two hits yesterday, though. I will say that. The Yankees are uh, 24th in F4, start in starting pitching F4 since uh, July 9th. And I'm trying to see what their ERA is specifically um, because that is their ERA has been worse than their FIP. Um, the Yankees have the, yeah, they, they have the sixth worst start, sixth worst starter ERA in the la in their last 25 games. So yeah, taking away from that and adding an outfielder, who's got average offense, great defense, but average offense. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. 
Um, but a, a move the Yankees made that, uh, well, it got off to a bad start yesterday. However, probably should end up being good in the long run. We got Frankie Montas, um, who probably was the second most sought after starting pitcher at the deadline behind Luis Castillo. Um, what do you think of the Yankees getting Frankie Montas? I thought it was a very good move. I mean, you kept Oswald Peraza in your system, which was excellent. You know, Frankie Montas is a guy that has control beyond this year. So I thought that the package for him was going to be a lot uh, more, but it really wasn't. Uh, I know that he did get roughed up in that first start, but he was facing a hot Cardinals lineup. So you could probably let it slide for now. I think the one concern I have with Montas is that he could be a candidate of, of getting X fifth at Yankee stadium. You know, he's a fly ball. He can be a fly ball type of pitcher sometimes. Uh, and, you know, going from Oakland to New York isn't going to play as well when, you, when, you, uh, when you're that kind of guy. Yeah, I think he's um, – I've seen stuff on, like, home road splits with him also, um, which, like, you know, that's not going to play too well um, coming from Oakland where Oakland's a very – pitcher-friendly ballpark mm -hmm. um, and going to Yankee Stadium, who, which I guess, I guess Yankee Stadium is like an average ballpark. I don't know. It's because, um, well, yeah, it's, it's easy to hit home runs, but it's so hard to hit an extra base hit that isn't a home run because the gaps are very small. You know, the, the walls are very short. Like, that's why. Yeah. So Montas this year had a six, has a 6-1-1 ERA on the road, but I guess that includes yesterday. Um, but also, yeah, six one one ERA on the road is not great, and I should see what it was last year in a more full season. Um, as we look here, Homer away. Uh, last year, yeah, last year the difference wasn't really there, so I think I don't know. Maybe it's not something to worry about. Um, this is a little concerning from, so if you look at Frankie Montas's ground ball rate by month, he had a 45.5% in April, 50% in May, but then it went down to 44% in June and 40 and 38.5% in July. That's, you know, it's not a good trend for him, for a guy that's going from Oakland to Yankee stadium. Currently he's only made one start in August or maybe even no, I think he's made one start in August. And uh, I mean, he's, he's, uh, forty-one percent ground ball rate, so it's it's not too good of a sample size to go off of, but that is definitely a concerning trend for a guy going from Oakland to Yankee Stadium, actively giving up less ground balls and presumably more fly balls too. Yeah. Um. By the way. Oh, very much more fly balls. Yeah. Twenty-two point one percent in April, sixteen percent in May, twenty-three point nine percent in June, thirty point eight percent in July. Yeah. League average fly ball rate is 22% about. Yeah. Um, and he's at 30.8% 30, 30 in July. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, so he's yeah. been trending the wrong way. By the way, when we say the term getting XFIPT, I know that can get lost on some people. Yes. It means uh, it means like you're giving up fly, you're giving up home runs that you wouldn't allow at most ballparks, um, it, which like would lead to a higher home run to fly ball ratio and xfip measures fip but with like considering average the average home run to fly ball ratio it's a expected statistic within an expected statistic which is it's 
very funny. Very funny yes. how it works. I um, mean, I would say, would you say FIP is an expected statistic though? Like it, it covers things that happens on the field all the time. It's not like a hypothetical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, there is like that has been a, a debate for a while. I guess the term would be peripheral within a peripheral. Yeah, that's that's I'd say that's more preferred. Yeah, yeah. yeah. More technically, more sabermetrically correct. Yes, yes. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, the Yankees did that. Um, Not a bad trade. I think he can work out, but he's gonna have to fix up his fly ball, his uh, batted ball tendencies, no doubt. Um, right, right. They also got Scott Efros, who did give up a home run yesterday, but uh, you know, he was one of the better fit pitchers. Um, let's talk about Joey Gallo. Because yeah. did you um did you see that that Q and A he did with I think it was like NewJersey.com? Um, I I only um I only like saw quotes. It was very depressing and sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Joey Gallo was traded to the Yankees last year for a bunch of prospects, uh, including Ezekiel Duran and Glenn Otto to the Rangers, and. He hit 159 with the Yankees. It just never worked out, unfortunately. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I always wanted to see Joey Gallo work out with the Yankees, and it just never happened. Yeah. And it got really bad. Like, it got to a point, as Joey Gallo kind of mentioned, like, he he just never left his apartment because he didn't want to go out in the streets and be seen because he was being harassed outside of the ballpark, which is just, it's not going to help you. Like, how are you going to play better under those conditions? You're not. Like, this is very real life for some people. Um, you know, getting booed at the stadium after striking out is one thing, but, you know, getting harassed on the streets when you're a person is an entirely different context. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, yeah, like, especially when he's the, it seemed like he was the only guy struggling for the Yankees this year. Um, and, you know, he, he's he kind of struggled initially, with the Yankees last year um and then it got worse this year uh and and yeah like I don't know we're it's a thing where you hope that a new uniform just changes things new city changes things yeah so he's going to the Dodgers I think it's very encouraging that the best team in baseball wanted him yeah yeah Um, for sure not a lot of roster spots available on that team. Yeah. I think uh, I think most, if all, if not all, Yankee fans are wishing him well, and I think all baseball fans are wishing him well because he's a guy that just needs a reset. And you know he's go- he's going to another very good team. Uh, the Dodgers have not lost since they got him, so clearly he's the reason. Yeah. And uh, you know I I hope he can work out there, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, just looking at the, uh. Looking at the Dodgers, I mean, their outfield consists of Chris Taylor, Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts, and then Trace Thompson is uh, is in the mix. And I think Gavin Lux has played a little bit of outfield. Mm-hmm. Um, Gallo, like what people also forget is Gallo provides very good defense, um, great arm in the outfield. Uh, I mean, one of the best arms in baseball. So if there's that. I mean... He's a he's a quality piece to have. Um, just hasn't worked out this year so far. Yeah, the Dodgers didn't really do too much else. Um, is there another team you want to get into right now? Um, another team, another team. Um, I Thinking, should look, uh, like who else did significant? The Braves, stuff? the Braves and Blue Jays did both did things. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, true, 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 true. Um, yeah, we already went over like the Brewers getting rid of Hater, um, and getting Taylor Rogers. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk about the talk about the Braves a little bit. Um, not nothing. Yeah, if I can recall correctly, nothing huge, but a lot of uh, a lot of like smaller moves. Yeah, so they got Rysel Glacius from the Angels. Uh, they're picking up his contract, I believe. Yeah, he's making fourteen million a year or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they got Jake Odorizzi from the Astros. They got Robbie Grossman from the Tigers. Um, they DFA'd Robinson Cano. Yeah, really yeah. just Rysel Iglesias, Robbie Grossman, and uh, Jake Odorizzi for Will Smith. Yeah, and the the Odorizzi for Will Smith deal, um, we like that for the Braves. Uh, Odorizzi's been pretty good. Will Smith, uh, as a reliever, you don't necessarily know a whole lot about. And mm. putting in Iglesias instead of uh, Smith, I think that works out great for the Braves. Um and yeah, Jake Odorizzi. Um, this this yes. gives them a lot more rotation depth because they just optioned Ian Anderson to the minors. Um, yeah. shout out shout out to the person in our F four league who has both Spencer Torgelson and Ian Anderson on the same team, <laughs> who are now both in the minors. Yeah, May May champion though. Yes, end of May champion. Yep. Um. Yeah, Jake Odorizzi, yeah, 376 ERA, 364 FIP this year. Um, definitely adds depth, um, gives you innings. Uh, good guy to have. Rizal Iglesias has been a guy who's um he's always he's been getting X FIPs. Yeah, he's he's always had great strikeout to walk numbers. Um and I mean, always been one of the you know, he's been one of the better relievers of the past three years or so um he has a 301 fifth this year 12.2 strikeouts for nine 2.2 walks for nine um that's a great that's a great move for the braves for sure no doubt um and he has closing experience so you know i know kenley jansen's been on the il like i think twice this year or at least had injury stints twice yes so if he goes down um if he goes down then Rise Iglesias can slip right into that ninth inning role. Um, that's been great. Yeah. Uh, the Blue Jays. They got a they got Whit Merrifield who cannot play in Toronto, and apparently still, is not going can. to change his mind. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Very very wild. Um, I'm very surprised they traded Jordan Groshans, who is one of their top prospects. Um, but they got Anthony Bass and Zach Pop from the Marlins. Bass has been one of the best relief pitchers this year, especially in terms of FIP. Um, yeah. That was it for any major moves. They got Mitch White from the Dodgers. Interesting. Um, I think the the biggest amusement that anyone got out of this team's trade deadline was trading for a guy that cannot play half the games. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, that'll that'll do it. <laughs> that that's just a that's just a hilarious thing. Yeah. Um, I can't think of any other teams. Or any just major trades that we missed on. Yeah, no. Um, like, it was, obviously, the big one was the Juan Soto deal. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about, like, the the Dodgers not pulling the trigger too hard uh, at the deadline this year? What else do they need? 
That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> like they got it all. It, um, they would have made a trade. I think if if the trade deadline was August 9th, um, they would have made a trade because Clayton Kershaw just hit the IL. Yeah. Um, they both have they have both Kershaw and Bueller on the IL right now. It definitely is tough that they traded one of their starters as well, even if Mitch White wasn't the most effective. Yeah, they've had a lot of they've had a lot of guys go down. They're what well, the rotation currently. Uh, I mean, you got Julio Arias in there. You've got Tony Gonsolin, who's been solid all year. You have uh, Andrew Heaney, Tyler Anderson, who have both been better. Yeah, I mean, you definitely wish you had a guy like Kershaw, but you know, stuff happens. Yeah, um, yeah, they didn't. They didn't need to add to the lineup or the bullpen. That's you probably could have added to the rotation, but it also doesn't help that you traded one of said guys. Yes. Uh. Yeah, it doesn't help. Yeah, you have Bueller, Kershaw, and May on the D on the IL. Is May? I think May's coming back soon, though. Yeah, I mean, he got his surgery in May of last May, year. May of uh, twenty twenty-one. Oh, Justin May. Yeah, got him. Oh, um, oh my god. Um. So yeah, he might. Yeah, he may come back. I've seen him in some headlines. I should look up his name to just see if if there's any validity validity to that because I mean he was fantastic in 2021 mm-hmm. um yeah uh says dustin may ramping up uh dustin made to make two more rehab starts so i guess that's insisting he's already made rehab starts um yeah or i should look more into that dustin may minor league stats let's see did he make starts in 2022 Excellent question. I don't think he has. I think he's like begun throwing again. Um, he, he's. It says here that he's thrown nine innings in the PCL. Okay. I think he's going slow because it's it's three starts, nine innings. So I was gonna say he might be a guy that you maybe have back for the playoffs, if anything. Yeah. Um. So like, we'll keep an eye out on that. How long is Kershaw supposed to be down for? Lower back um, discomfort, that's not the worst. Not the worst, but it's also a thing that could linger for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, Clayton. And he's. I feel like he's had a back thing for a while. Mm-hmm. Injury. Um, yeah, I don't see any timetable yet. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see anything yet. Um, we'll probably find out soon. But he's already had a longer IL stint this year. So um, so yeah, I mean, I think we're set set on trade deadline stuff. Yeah. So uh, yeah, now we'll get into players to highlight. Haven't done that in a while. Because of uh, our uh, single seasons draft, which yes, it did happen to happen right on the trade deadline. Um, <laughs> sorry Oops. about it. Um, I don't know. I, we we don't we do control it, but we still we do control when the two hundredth episode comes out. But like the timing of it, we did not plan for. Um, so yeah, that leads into our two or yeah. Uh, Monday, August 8th, 2022 edition of...
Uh, who do you have for us today? So I'm talking about someone who I'm very excited to speak of uh, for multiple reasons. Chris, I actually mentioned him briefly to you off camera, um, but I'm talking about Jose Miranda of the Minnesota Twins, who mm. got his big league call up this year, and he has not thrown away his shot. Uh, over the last 49 games, he is slashing 331, 384, 552 for a 936 OPS. His weighted runs created plus it is in the heights in that time. It's at 168. The only qualified hitters with a higher weighted runs created created plus over that time are Jordan Alvarez, Aaron Judge, Paul Goldschmidt, Austin Riley, Freddie Freeman, Juan Soto, and Nolan Arenado. It's all those guys and then Jose Miranda right afterwards. Before this span, he had a strikeout rate of 23.4%, and in this span, it is at 18.1%. So he's hitting the ball more, and also he has proven to be immune against sinkers. Sinkers, of course, are a primary ground ball pitch. You throw one to get a ground ball. Among the 117 hitters with 25-plus batted balls against sinkers since June 3rd, Miranda's 31.5% ground ball rate ranks the 10th lowest, and his 17.6-degree launch angle ranks tied for 6th lowest. He is avoiding ground balls against sinkers, just like Alexander Hamilton avoided British tax. Uh, he is a 77 RV 100 against sinkers, which is run value for every 100 pitches. For every 100 sinkers he gets thrown, he contributes about 7.7 runs, which is tied for fourth highest among the 1,702 and hitters with at least 25 plate appearances ending on any pitch. Uh, when Miranda is shifted against, he goes the other way 36% of the time of, uh, of his batted balls. And when he isn't shifted against, he only goes the other way 22.3%, which means when he's shifted, he's very good at going against the shift and hitting the other way. And he's five for seven uh, on batted balls the other way against the shift naturally. Uh, the Twins, oddly enough, are 20, 23 and 26 when Miranda plays during this time, which really just goes to show you how lucky they've been to have him in that lineup to stay in front of a competitive AL Central. So, I mean, if you're Jose Miranda, what can you say except you're welcome? You know, he's only 24 there's a million things he's there's a million things he hasn't done but he's young scrappy and hungry and he's keeping the twins in this playoff race jose miranda i understood a couple of the references <laughs> I, I couldn't resist in the heights i knew and you know alexander hamilton i mean you know that's that's an, that's obvious, an obvious that was an obvious one it's an obvious one. I, I threw that one in there last minute just being like just in case no one's getting it i'm just gonna have to throw this one in there that's that's for the yeah for the casuals um mm -hmm. yeah i had about uh, five or six references in there yeah um i love that love that um for those unaware jose miranda is a cousin of lin-manuel miranda who is a uh pro you know the biggest broadway star out there um pretty much yeah. yeah he's up there um he wrote he's written i think seven different musicals including hamilton in the heights and moana which all were referenced there yep yep <laughs> um so uh my how about that uh it's it's i'd say it's a so it's a higher profile guy but he's it's not like he's not higher profile because he just has awesome offense. So I think I'm, I feel justified talking about this guy and it does cross a team off the list. So this, that was a factor in uh, me selecting him. Uh, and with this crossing him off the list, I think we only have three teams left. So that's going to be great. Um, yeah. I, I was, I was looking through and I think, um, well, after this guy, we have Reds, Royals and Dodgers remaining um so awesome 
um, unless I misremembered or, or something. I'll have to go back and check, but yeah. We'll have to go through. Um, so my player is JT Real Muto. Um, he's a guy who's, he's, you know, la- last year he had, I think, like a 108, 110 OPS plus, weighted runs, created plus, things like that. Uh, what what makes him the best catcher in baseball is the combination of offense and defense. But offensively, he has been unbelievable. Uh, in his last 15 games, he's hitting 359 with a 1207 OPS. Uh, in this span, he ranks third in slugging, third in OPS, fourth in weighted runs, created plus, and fourth in F4. Uh, out of 268 batters with 25 plus batted balls this year, um, his expected slugging and expected woba ranks sixth. Uh, his average exit velocity before the span was 88.7 miles per hour, and in this span, it is 92.2 miles per hour, so a four and a half mile per hour, or no, three and a half mile per hour difference. My mistake. Uh, in that uh, in that exit velocity, his average exit velocity ranks 24th out of 268, and hard hit rank. Her hit rate ranks 12th out of 268. Uh, his barrel rate has gone from 6.5%, which was below average, to an astounding 20.0% in this span. His barrel rate ranks 12th out of 268 batters in this span. And uh, also very notably, his strikeout rate has gone from 21% to 13% uh, in this span. And he has really been carrying that Phillies lineup uh, lately. And the Phillies, as a result, have been really storming. They're they're only a game and a half back of the Padres for the uh, the fifth seed. So shout out to them. Um, so yeah, uh, JT Realmuto. Um. All right. So now we go from the highs to lows, where we're talking players and subjects that have been underperforming with our Monday, August eighth, twenty twenty two edition of slightly alarming all right who do you got for us so today i'm uh i'm sticking with the division that you used for your how about that and i am looking at uh marcelo zuna of Mm. the atlanta braves who's been really struggling since july 9th Uh, he's slashing 161 200 259 for a 459 ops and a 24 weighted runs created plus uh, in that time, his batting average is sixth worst among the 169 qualifiers. His OBP ranks second worst. His weighted runs created plus is tied for fifth worst. Uh, this year, he is a career high in pop-up rate at 9.7% and a career low in line drive rate at 20.1%. It's one of the lower ones in the league. Uh, before the span, he had an exit velocity, an average exit velocity on the season of 89.7 miles an hour and a launch angle of 15 degrees, which is pretty Marcelo Zuna-like. But in the span, his exit velocity is down to 87.4 miles an hour. That is a almost a two and a half mile an hour difference, which is quite a bit. And a launch angle of 20 degrees. That's a five degree difference. That's much more significant. Uh, over the span, 36.8% of his batted balls have been above 36 degrees. That's the second highest rate among the 184 hitters with at least 50 batted balls balls over the span uh, he has 21 of such batted balls he has not gotten a hit on any of them none of them have flown out obviously he's got the lower exit velocity during this time so he's not hitting it hard enough to where a 36 degree launch angle is enough to push it out of the park yep yep uh marcelo zuna slightly alarming um my slightly alarming is um I didn't go too into detail this one with this one, I'll be honest. Um, mm-hmm. But kind of the, the numbers are 
the numbers are what they are. Sometimes you don't need to overexplain. Uh, Seiya Suzuki, um, you know, rookie this year. Uh, I think he's signed like a five-year contract with the Cubs, um, if I'm not mistaken, or I don't know. I forget what his contract situation was, but I think he's getting a good amount of money. And he was kind of a hot commodity in the offseason. Um, he's had a pretty good having a pretty good season up to this uh, 13 game span that he's having in his last 13 games, he's hitting 094 with a 300 OPS um, out of 174 qualifiers, his average on base percentage OPS and weighted runs created plus rank last his strikeout rate has gone from 26% to 33%. And uh, probably most alarmingly, his walk rate has gone from 12% before the span to 2% in the span um, not taking any walks. Uh, so, you know, 33% strikeout rate and a 2% walk rate in this span, um, really not gonna, not, not gonna provide a recipe for success for Seiya Suzuki. So Seiya Suzuki. Slightly alarming. Um, yeah, I'm going through a bunch of teams right now and checking off, uh, if we've done players for how about that? I don't have any questions right now. Uh, I did do a Mariner. Ranger, we did Martin Perez. Angels, I did Taylor Ward. A's, you've done a couple guys. I've done the guy. We did a Met very first episode. Braves, we've done the two rookies at least, maybe more, but definitely those two rookies. You just yeah. did a Philly. Marlins, I did Garrett Cooper. Nationals, uh, we did. Oh, I did Josiah Gray. Cardinals, did we do a Cardinal? Had to. Have. We you did Tommy Edmond. I did do Tommy Edmond. You're right. Um, just going rapid fire here. Brewers. Uh, did we do a Brewer? Oh, you did Hobie Milner. Yep. Yeah. Um, Reds are the one of the teams we haven't done. Pirates, we did Vogelbach. Cubs, we did Horner. Dodgers, we still need to do. Padres, you did. You did a Padre very early. You did Profar. Profar. Yeah. Giants. Did we Mike, do a Mike Stremski? You did Mike Stremski. Okay, fantastic. Diamondbacks, I did Joe Mantiply. Rockies, is that one of the teams we still need? Daniel Bard. You did Daniel Bard. Okay, yeah. Wow, three teams left. That's way less than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I think I think at this point in the season last year, we only had like one team, but I don't know. We're, on, we're still on a good we track. Time. We're, on, we're on a good track. Yeah. yeah. And um, I was almost going to do a Royal this episode, but I, I saw Jose Miranda and I had to take the opportunity while I had it um yeah uh yeah now we'll get into our um preview of the week ahead talking i'll be talking about series to watch daniel will be discussing the day-by-day matchups um in terms of series uh not a lot start tonight i don't think um a couple good ones a couple good ones um you have yeah, you got Mariners and Yankees. They just played each other. That starts tonight uh, at T-Mobile Park. A couple of sort of different trending teams. It's a three-game that's se- a three-game series. Um, there's also uh, an, a good interleague matchup in Brewers Rays, but that is only two games. You're uh, missing one right now. That is American Family Field at American Family Field, um, and then. Yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, this would count. Orioles, Blue Jays. Yep, yeah, buddy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a couple playoff hopefuls. Yeah, I, I keep 
like in my head mulling over the Orioles, but no, that's not. They don't. They can't be mulled over anymore. I I cannot I cannot no. ignore them anymore. Uh, the you or- cannot run from it. <laughs> at Camden Yards, uh, they will be. Yeah, the Orioles will be will be facing off against the Blue Jays. Looks like a three or yeah three game set. Um. So yeah, uh, should be fun. Should be fun. And now, time to get into some day by day matchups. What do you got? So, uh, tonight on Monday, these matches might have already happened by the time you're listening to this, but we got a uh, Yusei Kakuchi versus Jordan Lyles in Baltimore for game one of Blue Jays Orioles. Of course, a big series. You got Justin Dunn facing his former franchise in the New York Mets against Chris Bassett. Not a lot of people remember, but Justin Dunn was in the uh, infamous Edwin Diaz trade, which the Mets seem to be winning right now. Uh, Keegan Thompson will be pitching for the Cubs against the Nationals. Uh, Jose Suarez and Cole Irvin will be going against each other in Angels A's at the Coliseum. Uh, Tyler Beatty and Zach Gallon will be facing each other in Padres Diamondbacks. Jamison Tyon and Logan Gilbert uh, have both been struggling a little bit lately, but they'll be going against each other in Yankees Mariners. The opener at 10, 10 at T-Mobile. Match of the night comes from Giants Padres at Petco. It is Alex Wood versus Blake Snell. A couple of lefties in that one. Hmm. So then on Tuesday, it's going to be August 9th, and a lot more series will be starting up. Up As Chris mentioned, you have Lance Lynn. Uh, facing the Royals in game one of their doubleheader at Kaufman. No one else has been announced yet. Uh, Alec Manoa versus Kyle Bradich in Blue Jays Orioles. Braxton Garrett versus Zach Wheeler in Marlins Phillies uh, at Philadelphia. Shane Bieber will be facing the Tigers. He has owned them throughout his career. He has like some unreal statistics against the Tigers. 172 plate appearances, a 239 Woba. Uh, 246 expected Woba against the Tigers in his or against the current Tigers lineup in his career. Uh, Mike Miner and Carlos Carrasco will be facing each other in Reds, Mets at City. Charlie Morton and Rich Hill will be facing each other in Braves, Red Sox at Fenway. Uh, Marcus Stroman will, face, will be facing the Nationals for the Cubs at Wrigley. Uh, Martin Perez and Jose Urquidy will be facing each other in Rangers, Astros. That's going to be a good one. Brandon Woodruff will be facing the Rays for the Brewers in Milwaukee. Uh, Miles Michaelis will be facing the Rockies for the Cardinals at Coors. Nolan Arenado will be going back to Coors. Not his first time back, but it'll be going back, and that's that's always an event. Um Shohei Otani and James Caprillion will be facing each other at the Coliseum. Alex Cobb and Joe Musgrove will be going against each other in Giants Padres. Joe Musgrove, by the way, just got a big extension. Uh, Joe Ryan and Julio Urias, that'll be a good matchup in Twins Dodgers at Dodgers Stadium. And matchup of the night comes from Yankees Mariners. It's the rematch of Garrett Cole versus Luis Castillo. Of course, Garrett Cole gave up three home runs in the first inning last time he faced the Mariners. Uh, settled in after that, but I mean, the three home runs still happened. Uh, Taiwan Walker will be facing the Met, the Reds for the Mets on Wednesday uh, at 1 p.m. at City Field. Freddie Peralta, who just came off the IL, will be facing the Rays for the Brewers. Justin Steele, who's been very underrated, will be facing Josiah Gray in Nats Cubs at Wrigley. Paul Blackburn, who's been struggling a little bit since the All-Star break, will be facing the Angels for the A's. Uh, Jacob Junis and Sean Manaya will be facing each other in Giants. Padres, Nestor Cortez and Robbie Ray, a couple of Yankees going in the finale of Yankees Mariners. Uh, Jose Barrios and Dean Kramer will be facing each other in Blue Jays Orioles. Um, you have Kyle Wright and Nick Pavetta on Wednesday in Red Sox Braves. Justin Verlander will be facing the Rangers at Houston uh, on Wednesday. Johnny Cueto will be facing the Royals at Kaufman. Jose Quintana versus Kyle Freeland in uh, Cardinals Rockies. 
Mitch Keller versus Madison Bumgarner, a couple of interesting pitchers. We're not really sure how, what to think of it, either of them, but they'll be going against each other. Sonny Gray will be facing the Dodgers, the Twins. And matchup of the night comes from Marlins Phillies. It'll be Sandy Alcantara versus Noah Syndergaard. I know that Syndergaard isn't quite the same pitcher. Do we want to go over Thursdays or no? I don't know. The schedule might be uh, different. As There's not the... a whole lot announced, so I feel like we should just wait. Yeah. And yeah, the schedule might be a little different since uh, any CBL season is over. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, some good matchups there. Um, last thing we'll get to for this episode, uh, very significant um very significant news to the baseball community. Uh, Vin Scully passed away at the age of 93, um, nine, at the age of uh, 94. And, uh, you know, was someone who was the voice of baseball since the 1950s, 1950s, 1960s, uh, retired in, in, uh, the mid 2010s. And, uh, you know, a legend of baseball, one of the most legendary baseball people that didn't hit the field, that's for sure. Um, Daniel, what, what do you have to say? I mean, it's hard to really put everything into words. It's weird because Vince Kelly was 94 years old. He retired at the age of 88. You know, I think in the back of our minds we all knew that this day was going to come eventually and we all never wanted it to, but uh, unfortunately last Tuesday, we, we lost it in Scully. One of the most legendary uh, people in baseball history. I mean, the most legendary sports broadcaster of all time. I don't think that one can be challenged. Um, it's just, it's so remarkable what he accomplished, not just in his career, but in his life. Um, I believe he received the presidential medal of freedom at one point in his life. Uh-huh. Uh, that's something that goes beyond baseball. But I mean, you know, he broadcasted the Brooklyn Dodgers. He broadcasted Jackie Robinson's games, Duke Snyder's games, uh, Fernando Valenzuela, Don Drysdale, Oral Hershiser, Kirk Gibson, Clayton Kershaw. You name a Dodgers legend in the last 70 years, Vince Scully called their games. Yes. Yes. Yes, he, uh, yes, he did. And, um, you know, I mean, in the history series, he he came up a lot. He he, he, he did. came up he did. Uh, um, quite a bit. I, I recently learned that that one call was not actually Vin Scully, but I mean, you know, one of his most iconic calls that did come up in the history series was Sandy Koufax's perfect game. Yeah, that was in 1965, I believe. Um, 65 or 63. Um, yeah, and uh, as well as. Uh, you know, there were many national broadcasts he was referenced in um, mm-hmm. as he, you know, called called some uh, some World Series games. Um, you know, he's. Uh, yeah, absolutely was a legend of baseball and probably, as you said, most legendary broadcaster in sports um, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, I'm very curious, Chris, do you. Do you have any Vince Scully memories? Um, you know, it can just be a generalized. I used to watch him, you know, every every ten o'clock. 
or whatever. I think I've just grown, I think I just grew appreciation of him throughout the history series that we did because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were some Dodgers uh, players that we did. There was a Dodgers team that we did where he uh, had some, uh, had some calls there. Arguably the most iconic call of his career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think you, you just grew, I just grew appreciation uh, that way. Yeah, I I started streaming teams outside of my my own favorite uh, in probably 2014, which was three seasons before he retired. So uh, the Dodgers kind of became my West Coast team of choice just to listen to Vin Scully. I mean, you know, it, it was obviously like the sort of the beginning of their streak of, of NL West titles every single year. And they had a lot of players that I had an easy time rooting for. You think about Yasiel Puig, Clayton Kershaw in his prime, uh, Justin Turner starting to hit his stride with the Dodgers. They had so many fun players, and hearing Vin uh, commentate those games was just, just was just something. And um, my favorite particular memory was um, it was my fifteenth birthday in uh, it was on Memorial Day, and the Dodgers were playing the Braves, and Johnny Gomes comes up for the Braves, and as a Red Sox fan, Johnny Gomes is just one of my favorites. You know, anytime I get to watch an at-bat of his on any team, I'm pretty locked in for that. And for those of you who don't know, there are so many interesting stories about Johnny Gomes' life. One that I had not heard up until this very moment was that he was attacked by a wolf when he was a child. Vince Scully just brings that story out out of nowhere. I'm, like, throttled listening to this. And, you know, meanwhile, it's, like, 11 p.m. I'm just, like, trying to wind down, like, enjoy the rest of my birthday and go to bed. And there's Finn Scully talking about Johnny Gomes getting attacked by a wolf. I saw a tweet uh, that was very accurate. It was, like, Vin Scully was the guy you wanted on a national broadcast for a big game. And you also wanted him just, like, on a random Wednesday night in July. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, like, just a nice calm presence uh yeah he had the ability to be that calm presence on a random wednesday night but also present the big moment um so there's uh yeah there's a lot a lot a lot that can be said with that um anything else before we wrap up it's one of the it's one that one hurt a lot that loss you know the, the dodgers have lost a lot of members of their community in the last couple of years. They lost uh, Tommy Lasorda. They lost Don Sutton. They've now lost Vince Scully. And that organization has been through a lot uh, in the last couple of years. Right, right. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, so that uh, wraps up this installment of Above Replacement Radio. A little while in the making. Um, we hope you enjoyed this one. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to our YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio and subscribe to it. Um, if you're following us on, or if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. We hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you on uh, another day this week. Uh, where we will be talking all the happenings in Major League Baseball once again. See you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.